So you guys been here 50 years, huh? Not all, yeah, most none of you. Um, yeah, I was together with Tracy. That was 1980-ish, 79, 80, uh, at New Testament Church somewhere in the boondocks over here, about four or five. Still Elizabethtown address, I think, but uh, he was our bass player. Uh, that was fun because uh, we were New Testament Church. Our doctrine was no doctrine because we all, we all came out of denominational churches where you felt kind of confined, and so we were kind of, it was charismatic days, spirit-filled days, and so we were all kind of looking for a little more life, and a lot of the guys on the worship team were engineers at Cummins, and so they were in a certain tie, you know, shirt and tie all week long. They weren't coming to church, so they were the original blue jean guys. I mean, we were in church in blue jeans, you know, uh, back in 1980 or something like that. So that was fun. Tracy was part of the worship team then. And uh, I did a few things. And man, we were just learning. We'd worship for two hours on a Sunday morning. Just get lost in God. And uh, look at your watch and not have a clue you'd been there two hours. I mean, we I saw some things in that church I haven't seen. Been doing this for 40 years now, 30 years uh, in full-time ministry. And saw some things in those days I haven't seen since. But, uh, but you guys have been, this church was here. And, I, and I'm just telling you this morning, we we're just worshiping and I just heard the Lord say that this has, you have been well, this church has been a well uh, for a long time. You're, you're kind of too out here in the middle of the cornfields, you know, drawing people from the north and the south and the, and the east and the west. And this has been kind of an oasis where disciples get made and the word has been taught and there's life in the spirit. And I just want you to know that as revival, revival's coming. Uh, and as revival, people are getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, it's all going to change. And uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. We're just not seeing it yet. But in the spirit, uh, in the spirit, we're seeing it. I'm telling you, uh, our best days are still in front of us. There's, there's no point in history or in your Bible that was the peak. We haven't gotten to the, we haven't gotten to the best that God, you always save the best wine for last. I mean, that's your first story in the New Testament. And so the best is still yet to come. And this is, this is going to be an oasis. This is going to be an outpost. Uh, this is going to be a refuge that people are going to uh, run to. I just had my guitar out. I got my guitar out again. Uh, I used to play from, I was my wife's assistant. She was children's church leader. And so I was uh, for many years uh, Sanders' assistant. And so I can play every kid's song ever written in the key of D. Uh, alive, alive, what a mighty we bring this. He is the king. I can just do that for about an hour. Uh, and so when COVID came, I thought I needed to take it up a notch. So I took some lessons for a little while and added two or three chords to that so I could do a few other things. I was just strumming this morning, worshiping the Lord. I like to do that. And uh, just the name of the Lord's a strong tower. The, the righteous run into it and they are saved. And so thank you for the worship. That was good. Is that typical this morning? Was that, is that typical worship? Is that about normal? Is that a little better than normal there was a really a good uh the presence of the lord you know songs okay musicians okay it's not about us it's about him but if you can host the presence of the lord you know if you can invite spirit has no authority on earth 
God created Adam and Eve and said, we'll create you in our image, the Godhead's image, and you have dominion on earth. So God limits himself and Satan's ability to work on earth because earth is under the dominion of men as they submit to their spiritual authority. So either you submit to the authority of God and invite Holy Spirit to come, that's how he works in our lives. He doesn't just show up, there has to be invitation and it has to be an open door. When it was time for Jesus to be born, they had to make room for him. And so we've got to be preparing and making room and we've got to move from visitation to habitation where he can be with us on Friday night or Saturday morning or in the middle of our work day on Wednesday that we can live in that place. And so God is really uh, working. And as we prepare and make room for him and, and invite him, then he comes and uh, he's getting ready to change some things. So. I'm going to talk about missions this morning. It's what I do. It's what I've been doing for a long time. We were in a little Christian Missionary Alliance church in Crothersville when I was 13 years old. And uh, we had a missionary there from Africa. Cool days. You know, they always had that slide show. And the last slide would always be the sun going down, you know, on the, on the prairie or the, the tundra there. And, uh, you know, because the time is short. And so at the end of her message, she said, if God called you to be a missionary, would you go? And I, and I raised my hand. Now I'm like 12 or 13 years old. Nobody came and said anything to me after the service. You know, nobody shook my hand. I don't know if anybody saw me, honestly, but God saw me. And so uh, it was, you know, we grew up, high school, got married, didn't serve God for a number of years, was working for McDonald's and kind of living my own life out of my own insecurity and and all of that kind of thing and was really just about destroyed our marriage uh, in the 70s. And, um, and the Lord spoke to me one day. He said, Craig, this isn't about you and Sandra. This is about you and me. If you and me were doing good, uh, you and Sandra would be doing good. So guys, you might want to just catch that this morning. If you've got challenges with her, you can't fix her. But if you'll let God fix you, I guarantee you she'll get better. And wives, the same thing. That's just how it works. Anytime your focus is on anything other than what God's doing in me, you're probably not going to get there. And so I said, okay, Lord, and I repented and I quit that job. I went to work for Regal Industries in Crothersville where we made insulation out of newspaper. And most of the guys there didn't have a high school education. They didn't tie their shoes. Uh, they just <laughs> slipped on their boots. And it was, it was a real step down from managing my own McDonald's. But God had to humble me. Because he won't reproduce you in your current state, you know. He, won't, he wouldn't reproduce my pride because my pride was rooted in my own fear and insecurity. And he had to fix that in me. And so he kind of eliminated those things that, that brought pride into my life. And uh, out of that, the Lord began to stir in us. I call it divine dissatisfaction. Maybe that's where you're at in your life. Divine dissatisfaction, knowing that God's got a plan that's bigger than the plan you're currently uh, seeing happen in your life. And so we got some counsel. We prayed about it. The Lord gave a scripture out of Daniel that the Hebrew children were th trained for three years and then they went and served the king. And so we knew he wanted us to go and be trained. And so we prayed about it. And it was a three-year process, but we ended up in Bible school down at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. And uh, we were in, I think, our third year then. Sandra was full-time. I'd finished, and she was finishing up, and I was working and paying off our way through school. And, and uh, 
she came to me one day and said, Craig, I think God might be calling us to the nations. Listen, it's a lot easier if God calls your wife to the nations before, before, you, before you call your wife to the nations. And so God called her so I didn't, have to, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to call her. But she said, I think God's calling us to the nations. And I said, you know, when I was 12 years old in that Christian missionary line, and I told that story, she said, you never, you never told me that. I, honestly, I forgot. But as some of you caught, God doesn't forget those things. And so God called us to the nations and we went, uh, joined in 1990 and, and uh, went to Asia in 1991. And so I want to tell you a few of those things uh, this morning because I want you to understand. I've I shared this in a couple churches uh, this summer because I really felt like the Lord laid it on my heart that you understand just how critical you are to what God wants to do, what he is doing uh, in the world. And so I want to look at this a little bit from the New Testament, really just from one verse. We're going to look at Romans chapter 10 in a couple of minutes here. But it is so on my heart that you understand as a church, the ecclesia, the New Testament church, just how critical you are to what I'm able to do, or if you partner with anybody else, what they're able to do in the nations. You know, we're Southern Indiana. We do what we do. We've got our jobs, our kids, our lives. And a lot of times, I mean, the, the, the question in our heart is, what, what does this mean in the grand scheme of things? You know, what God is doing in the world. We really focus on a lot of our own challenges a lot of days that's just how it is we have to work with what's around us and the devil will work overtime to make any of us feel small or insignificant or how do we really matter uh, in any of these things but just take a trip through your Bible you know you've got David a shepherd boy you've got Esther you know uh, kind of a maid a hand servant you've got some maids in the bible that carried prophetic words you've got fishermen we relate to those guys you got fishermen uh, in the new testament and so god does extraordinary things with ordinary people it's really you know i feel like i'm kind of every man I mean, I graduated in the top two-thirds of my class from Crothersville, my class of 40. I graduated in the top two-thirds of my class. So if there is hope for your redemption, let me tell you, uh, if God can do something. <laughs> I run Bible schools. I'm vice president of a ministry now. And so it's just all about obedience, if we're obedient. So people often make a big deal out of what I do because I do get to travel the nations it is what God made me to do I'll be in Honduras next week with our whole team from all of Latin America coming together uh, I was in Thailand earlier this year Nepal uh, the latter part of last year and so it's it's amazing but I want you to know that my deal is not possible without your deal and that's what I want us to really see this morning. It's not possible for a missionary to go and do what he does, for a sent one to go and do what they do without a team that backs that up in some different ways. And so I want us to look at Romans chapter 10, uh, just a few verses in there. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. This is kind of the core of what we teach when we're working with churches. We're working with something like 20,000 churches in Africa right now because we sent missionaries but we never changed Africa from being a mission field Africa still considers themselves a mission field and any mission field once you get to it should become a mission force and so we're going back and telling the church that was birthed by missionaries that they ought to be sending out missionaries they never heard of such a thing and 
the whole, I mean, major denominations have opened up and uh, we're beginning to train them uh, on how they can become a missions force in the earth. And it all starts with Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, Who shall, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that's the goal, that we bring salvation to the nations. And this is the end goal right here, whether it's here or on the other side of the world. The difference is if you watch NASCAR this afternoon, somebody's going to thank God. God for what happened today or if you watch basketball in a couple weeks here when basketball starts somebody's going to thank God you know they're going to give glory to God at the end of that thing that doesn't happen in India doesn't happen in China you're not going to see a billboard between here in Columbus or here in Seymour that says Jesus saves or he's the answer or you're not going to see that in these other nations one less than a one percent chance that a Muslim will ever hear the gospel at all and so that's why missions is so important here. Jesus' last words recorded in all four Gospels in the first chapter of the book of Acts are go. Go into all the world. Mark 16, Matthew 28, Luke 24, John 20. His story. Not our story, his story. And so you can check that out, do a little Bible study. Just go to the last chapter of each book and then roll into the book of Acts where our story, our part of his story kind of begins there. So you can check and see if I'm telling you the truth. We call this the Great Commission because Jesus commissions us. You know, if you're in the military, you have to accept the responsibilities of the mission before they'll commission you. Well, here's the, here's the job. We accept the mission and then they commission you. The same with us. Half the church has never accepted the job. So there's no real commissioning to do these things, to cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, these kinds of things that we see all the time out on the mission field. So these are our marching orders they remain they will always remain if we don't do them or not then we'll die in the next generation we'll get a chance to do these things they're not they're not going to go away and we remain because this remains to be accomplished matthew 24 14 says and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached not the gospel of salvation the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world and then the end will come and so until the gospel of the kingdom gets demonstrated, the kingdom's your money, your message, your marriage, your motivations, your mouth, your mind, all of that's kingdom. It's way different than church. The kingdom is everything I'm concerned about. That my concern is how is his concern filtered and manifested in that. So when we get to Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to the nations, the ethnos, the races, all people. Then the end will come. So, you know, sometimes we look at our Bible, most of us, and we find ourselves in there. It's like our high school yearbook. You get your yearbook, you flip through the pages, where am I in here? That's how we read our Bible sometimes. You know, what's in it for me? And that's kind of how I live my life for a lot of years. These young guys that we were with back in the day, they challenged me. You know, the only time I got my Bible out was on Sunday morning for a lot of years. And that cost me, nearly cost me my marriage. And so... At some point, I decided I was all in. I'm getting ready to kind of teach, minister, got some stuff I'm preparing for our guys in Latin America. But if you look at Egypt or Israel, it just took a day to get out of Egypt. But then it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. So we can get rescued, saved, born again in a day. 
but it takes a number of years to get that old mindset, a barbarian mindset of fear and control, a Greek mindset of knowledge and reason out of the way to where we're just going to trust God no matter what it looks like or what he says. So you come out of Egypt, you spend some time in the wilderness until you find out who you really are, identity. Jesus' first assignment was he was led by the Holy Ghost into the wilderness as soon as he was baptized. And the first words out of Satan's mouth were, if you are a son of God. That is the question, the test every single day. It's identity test. If you are a son of God, then why? Fear. If you're a son of God, why? Sickness. If you're a son of God, a daughter of God, why this? Why that? Identity is always, is always the test. And so Israel gets tested for 40 years in the wilderness. Then the Jordan River, which is life or death. The Hebrew meaning is Yerod because it flows to death, to descend, to go down into death. And so then they come to the Jordan River. And are they going to commit their lives to this thing. I've worked with missionaries for a lot of years and they check it out, you know, a fair percentage check it out. And when it gets a little hard, they pull the rip cord. You know, when it gets a little bit too serious and you know, you're never gonna get into the promised land if that's kind of your philosophy of ministry. If it gets too hard, I'm out of here. Or we'll see, you know, we'll see. And that's gonna keep you in, your, in the wilderness. Because then you get a Jordan River. Uh, are we all in? Or once you get all in, things change. Because it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of written in code. You know, you join, it, you join any group and you don't really know the rules until you're all the way in. And it's the same. You know, you're never going to really, God's not going to really open all this up to us. You know, if we're just going to waste it or squander it or do something foolish with it. And so, you know, the real keys to the kingdom come once we get all the way in. And then you get a Jericho. Right? You think, now it's good. We got over Jordan River. Now what we got, we got a, you know, 30-foot walled city. We got to get a spiritual strategy for before we can now face seven other nations, all the ites, and then we get Hebron with the giants, the descendants of Anak, the Anakim. And so this is no small thing what we're getting ready to do in the next 10 or 15. I don't know if we'll get this done in our lifetime, but this is no small thing, but that's the process. If that's what's written down in the Old Testament, then that's the New Testament. That's what we're living for right now. So this isn't our story. This is his story. And it's a process. And he's working towards getting us to every tribe and every nation. And so Romans 10 says, the goal is that men are saved. But verse 14 says, how can they call on him who they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? That's missions. I can get off a plane, get in a taxi, walk into a hotel in China, in Vietnam, in Nepal, in Thailand, in India, dozens and dozens and dozens of nations. They don't have a clue who Jesus is. Never heard the name. And we're here every single Sunday tired of the same message. Well, get out of the seat, oh man, and go do something. I mean, we got nations, Thailand, less than 2% Christian. And so that's why missions exist. That's why missions exist. The goal is to be saved, but the problem is they haven't heard and they're not going to hear unless someone leaves here and goes there. So that's the job of missions, missionaries. That's the job of missions agencies. That's the missionary job. 
Verse 14 continues, how shall they hear without a preacher? The missionary. So I'm, I'm living in Asia. I'm living in Manila, 1991. We were there for 19 years uh, up until uh, 19, uh, 2009, I guess. And so uh, I'm surrounded by about half the planet. Two out of three people actually live on the continent of Asia and those surrounding out uh, islands right there and the Lord spoke to my heart one day I'm just man I'm just beginning to see this a little overwhelming for one guy from Crothersville Indiana how are we gonna reach three billion people and the Lord spoke to my heart one day and he said Craig you can do ministry but when you die you're done if you'll raise up ministers you will never be done and so he just kind of flipped the whole script on me that day you can do ministry you can run Bible schools you can plant a church the goal is not to plant a church the goal is to be a church you can run orphanages you can do all these things but when you die you're done when you die your ministry is over no matter how critical your ministry was but he said if you'll raise up ministers you will never be done he said you're pouring your life out in Manila but you're missing Asia and so we can be doing good things but they might not be God so in what was that 1994 I tell people I became the Asia Pacific Regional Director of nothing because we gave that Bible school away when we did most of the staff left because they were paid by the church and the salary that came in through the Bible school and I had two two other couples my my cousin uh, Eric um, Chris's brother and uh, his wife and uh, Bruce Binkin and his wife, they were three couples, all of Asia, and no ministry. And we said, God, what do we do? And he began to show us how to become reproducible in the nations. And so, if you read through your Bible, you'll find references to wineskins. And wineskins are usually our current comfortable way of doing things. And Jesus was always challenging that um, in the New Testament. What we were doing was good. But we had to give that all away, come empty-handed and say, God, now what do we do? And he began to show us how to have an impact in the nations. I'll tell you what happened. We stopped producing because ministry produces. A lot of you work. The goal of wherever you work is to, is to produce. That is not gospel. Gospel is to reproduce. And in order to reproduce, you have to be reproducible. That's why God hammers us on character and why he goes after us in the secret place, why he gets to these things in our heart, why he deals with our fears, our insecurities, our identities. Jesus called the disciples to be with him and then he sent them. And so the first call is always to intimacy so that we can be a reflection of him before it's to ministry. I work with a lot of people. I've been doing this for a long time. I've never met anybody that felt called to missions. I mean, 30 years, I've never met anyone that I didn't feel like had a genuine call to missions, but were they ready to pursue that call? I've worked with a lot who have not been ready because until the intimacy is established, until we reflect him, he's not going to throw us on a photocopier and begin to reproduce our fears and our insecurities because you reproduce what you are, not what you think you are and not what you say you are. You reproduce who you really are. And so we do a lot of addition 
and we rarely get to multiplication because we're really not multipliable. A lot of this season that we've just come through with COVID and the lockdowns and all of that was because God was going after root systems because roots determine fruit. And God's been going after our fears. He's been going after our, our altars that we have built in our life to see where we're really rooted and are we fruited uh, to move into the, into the next season here. So we stopped producing and we started reproducing. And instead of starting a Bible school and saying, we're here to run a Bible school, we'd start a, minute, we'd start a Bible school and say, we're here so that you can run Bible schools. And from day one, we're just authorizing them. You know, you can do this. Same spirit, same Bible, same faith. And we begin to call them to their destiny and then turn the thing over to them. You see who rises and we turn it over to someone who you could see, man, that this training others just really captured them and we went from one Bible school to two and then the next year we had four the next year we had eight the next year we had 16 I think we leveled off at 27 last year we were at 30 and so because we empowered and we turned it over to these guys and we didn't go build ministry we went and built ministers and so we began to see the nations change Paul, uh, I'll share a, uh, a couple things Paul's doing right at the end of this today, but Paul's just one of our graduates from India. He had a team of about 20. They were going from college campus to college campus, kind of evangelizing. Paul's father uh, built a Hindu temple on their property, and Paul was a trustee in a Hindu temple. But he said to me, he said, Craig, I never had peace until I met Jesus. And so I don't know how he got led to the Lord. He was already a believer when we met him, but we trained Paul and these 20 guys. I mean, they were barefoot, one pair of sh one shirt, one pair of pants. I mean, they, they had, they see the dead raised every day. It's funny. They couldn't believe God for money at all. I mean, they were dirt poor, but they've seen more any one of them has seen more people raised from the dead than all of us in this room combined. They had faith. Paul sends me emails every couple days. He says, Craig, I'll only send you the notable miracles. You know, unless they were raised from the dead or crippled for life and couldn't walk or blind in their eyes. He doesn't send me the other ones because they're just normal. There are normal, there are normal miracles and then, then there are extraordinary miracles. And so that's what's fun with these guys. Well, Paul and these guys graduated and they wanted to plant churches. So we partnered with them $20 a month for 20 months. And our goal was to plant 20 churches. We called it 2020 Vision. 20 churches in 20 months. Well, they end up planting 10. Cost us, cost us $20 a month per person. So $20 a month per person per church is what it costs. And they planted, you know, 400 churches in the next 20 months. That's, that was pretty good. Paul started with 20 guys. Today he leads, he's got 800 in his core group, and he's got a network of about 2,000 other pastors and ministries that work with him. And last year, uh, when COVID lifted, they could start schools up again, 15, 15, one guy. And his team, because we reproduced in him, running 15 Bible schools last year. So far this year, they've planted more than 70 churches by the end of July. So that's 20 some, what is that, 28 weeks, 70 churches, three churches a week, one every two or three days. This team has planted just, just in his part of the world. Those are cities of 18,000 people, so that's Seymour and no church. Cities of 18,000 people where there's no gospel witness, Seymour with no church, no gospel witness, and so they go in, plant a church. Usually when they go in, 
uh, the guys say you can't come, they're elders, because this is, this is tribal, these are tribal mentality, and so the, the elders of the village have to give you permission to come in. They say, you can't come in or we'll kill you. And so they say, well, is there anybody sick? And they don't bring you a headache or a hangnail, you know, they bring you somebody, you know, who's never walked. They've been on a mat their whole entire life. And they bring this person out and say, here you go, let's see what you got. And Paul and his team prays every time they get healed. And then the whole village opens up uh, for the gospel. We've got some villages in, in Nepal where absolutely the whole village has come to Christ because of the witness of one of our graduates there. And so these, these are the keys. We help as missionaries, but we do the same thing on that side of the world we do on this side of the world. And that's just help them know how to do their job. Help them to know how to succeed in advancing the gospel of the kingdom. So we come back to our verse and it says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? And this is where I want to get to this morning. This verse is where we get the word missionary from. You don't find the word missionary in your Bible. But this word in Latin is the Greek word, or is the Latin word missio, and it means one sent on a mission. How can they preach unless they be missio, unless someone sends them, unless they be authorized and qualified and sent by some sending group, some sending body on a mission? So for this verse to be accomplished, the goal is that all would be saved. But how can they be saved if they've never heard the message so they have to hear they have they can't hear unless somebody goes and tells them they cannot go and tell them unless they are sent and so that's the process here so what does it take it takes someone that is willing to go a sent one where do sent ones come from right here listen if God's stirring your heart the world is still looking for missionaries we're still looking for missionaries. This is where we come. I come from the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Crothersville. Sandra came out of the Baptist Church in Uniontown. Missionaries come from the church. They don't get dropped in from someplace else. They rise up out of here. This is the place. This is the place where our activities can lead to action. We're spiritual activity and hearing these kinds of things today. Maybe you've never heard this kind of stuff before. I'd never until I did. Never heard these kind of things until you start crossing paths with people that, that know these kind of things and are out there. And so this is why you as a church are so critical, so important to the kingdom of God. This is the seedbed right here. A lot of you garden, you farm, you grow things. Well, this is where God grows things. This is where missionaries, this is where ministers come from right here, where there's a spiritual atmosphere that can lead to action. The second thing it takes is a sender, someone to send. Jesus calls us, but we don't just go. Jesus didn't ordain a mission sending agency. He ordained the church. It's the church's job, the New Testament ecclesia. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so our job as a missions agency is to help churches like yours fulfill their job. It's to help you do what you're mandated to do. It's to help you fulfill the commission. If you're called to be a missionary, we've spent two decades establishing a training track so that you can leave here and do the do the next step, do an internship, do an apprenticeship, uh, so that 
If, if you're in any kind of a career or a real job, it took you some time to learn how to do that. And missions is a career that has a few nuances, a few things. It's not rocket science, but there are some things you have to be able to know and do to be able to fulfill a call in missions. Cross-culturally in another nation, there's some things you have to do. And so our job is to help people do that job. And your job to help you sin, to help you fulfill the commission. And you can do that from the comfort of your own living room. You don't have to go unless God calls you to go. But you have to do something. If you're not going, then you've got to sin. Because this chapter that we just read, you get choice A or choice B. There's no choice C. Choice C isn't, I'll just pray. Because New Testament says where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so if your money's not in it, your heart's really not in it all that much. And so you've got to get skin in the game. You know, it cost our missionaries everything. My whole family got married. Had my, all my brothers and sisters are younger. They got married. They had babies. Grandma went to heaven. You know, relatives passed away. All of life went on. Christmases, Thanksgiving. We're on the other side of the world. You don't just hop on a plane and fly back and forth. Thousands of dollars. I've got a missionary right now. He's gotten himself in debt because he brought his family back to the States. Three kids, mom and dad, at least 10 grand. You got some money sitting around you want to invest. He's one of my major team leaders, but he did it just before COVID. Then COVID hit, and they never really got that funds back by coming to minister in the churches. It cost. It cost these guys. And it's the same gospel. We can't sit here, and it cost me nothing. India cost me nothing. China cost me nothing. Nepal cost me nothing. And these guys, they're paying everything. They're raising their kids there health insurance challenges all these kind of things on the other side of the world and so grab hold of that this morning it's going to take some action on our part and we can do it from here but if it's costing these guys on a scale of one to ten their commitment to this thing is a ten on a scale of one to ten as a goer their commitments a ten I mean they got on a plane I got on a plane with you know, we call them Filipino Samsonites. It's a U-Haul dish pack box. It's better than a suitcase. And we put everything we, we could take with us, and mostly you can't take a lot. Back in those days, it was a 70-pound piece of luggage you got to take with you. And there were five of us, us and another gal that went with us. And so that was our whole life in five suitcases. And we moved as far as you can go without starting your way back. We went absolutely, you know, the other side of the world, 180 degrees. If you went beyond where we bent, went, you're on your way back here. And so we went, for us, the uttermost parts of the earth. The goer's commitment to this thing is the 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. And so if this is the deal, if this is the Great Commission, if this is what the cross is for, is the cross for India, is the cross for China, is the cross for Peru and Brazil, is the cross for the Middle East and the Muslim nations, some of the hardest places on earth, if it is, what's my level of commitment to that as a sender? So, at the end of the day, the church is, is you and me. So what can we do? First of all, pray. Go to Nations has an app now. You can just go to the app store and put in Go to Nations. We've got an app. And if you turn on notifications, you'll get a weekly prayer something. And we spent months putting that together. So it's calendar with events that we've got going on around the world. We've got 
a dozen missionaries in training right now. They're in an internship for the next 10 weeks. And so that's going to come up on an app. We've got a weekly or a monthly women's meeting for women all over the world in a Zoom call. That's going to come up on a Monday morning. So there are things to pray about. We're not the only organization out there, but we're one. You can pray. I've got a couple stories here from Pam Dogwan, missionary who raised up in Nigeria. Those guys have changed presidents six times in the last three years. They are, there's constantly a coup in that nation. And they're killing Christians and burning Christian villages. These guys need prayer. I've got a single woman who's on boats down in Peru. I've got two single women building whole compounds of children's ministry in Burkina Faso. No safe place. Missionaries need prayer. They need prayer covering. And it's huge if you'll help us. I've got a couple in Ukraine. They're Ukrainian, but they were back here for training. So they've got U.S. citizenship, but they're ministering in Ukraine. They built a base there. They helped 200,000 refugees last year alone when the war broke out. They actually had to roll over and establish a base in Poland because so many were leaving Ukraine and they wanted to be able to help them on the other side. So now they've got a base. They doubled ministry. You know, in the midst of war, they doubled ministry because if you respond to these things, you end up where God needs you to be. And so they doubled ministry last year by, by rolling over into uh, Poland and then helping, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that were displaced. And so you can pray for missionaries, pray for nations, pray for people. His kingdom, Jesus said, pray my kingdom would come. He didn't tell us to pray something that's never going to happen or was a complete waste of time. Pray that his kingdom, we've changed whole nations praying that his kingdom would come. Because at some point the government of God begins to rule over situations. That's the kingdom. The government of God begins to rule over whatever the local government is doing. And you begin to get favor. During COVID, they came and got our missionaries who are locked in their houses, locked in compounds, can't go out. Nothing like here, completely locked down, shut down. They came and got them and said, please come and help us distribute food and medicine to people. And they gave them government approval, government tags they wore around their neck. They could go places government officials couldn't go. The favor of God will get you into these places. If God said go, he's going to make a way. If he said pray that his kingdom would come, then his kingdom's going to come. The second thing you can do is good, is, is give. The gospel is free, but the road it travels on is not. If you get a paycheck, if you get a salary, give some part of that to somebody working in the world. The Lord showed me how to claim inheritance in the nations. He said, ask me and I'll give you the nations. Well, if you're not going to go and claim your inheritance, he bought them. It came with his blood. So part of your inheritance is in the nations. If you're not going partner with somebody. I didn't know that until I went to Bible school. And we had a guy come in from Gospel for Asia who supported these national pastors that they're raising up. And so Sandra and I, we were in Bible school. We had no money. We had strawberries for breakfast because they were left from our trip back from Indiana. It was the only thing we had. I didn't have 25 cents for a donut or a cup of coffee on break for a short period of time where God was breaking that poverty thing off of us during Bible school. But we began to sow in faith. You know where we sowed? We sowed into India. We picked up a gospel for Asia missionary, I think $15 a month 
Today it is planting a church every three days because in 1987 we were sowing $15 a month into India. That's how this thing works. So partner with somebody. Find somebody who's in the nations and begin to partner with them so that some part in the New Testament says let him Ephesians. Let him who stole steal no longer but let him work that he might have something to give. If you're going to work to earn a living you've missed the blessing of God all Already. Tell God you're going to work to earn a giving. When all of this changed, we didn't adjust our giving, we adjusted our living. When we came back off the field, our income went down a third, we lost our insurance and all of that. We were homeless for three and a half years, lived in people's basements, guest house, lived with my cousins, didn't have cell phones, didn't have cable TV. I wasn't going to write a missionary and say our income went down and I no longer have faith to give. So we adjusted our living until, and we gave based on our desired income. We tithed on what we desired to earn, not on what we were earning. And so you put some action to these things. You can give, you can invest, and you can go. We're still recruiting. We're still sending missionaries. We've got a whole process. So let me tell you the results of some of this, and then we'll wrap this up this morning. This is Elo Elo. Some of you might be familiar with Elo Elo. We've talked about it before. It's a big children's ministry. We've got a whole school there. We train kids all the way from kindergarten through graduation. A lot of them go to college, come back into the ministry. This started as nothing, you know, just dirt, <laughs> dirt in a field. And we've been doing this for 20 years now. Well, under COVID, they couldn't have a big come on Saturday meeting. So instead they went all the villages and one meeting on Saturday has ended up being 12 different churches that now happen where the kids are on Saturdays. And so they took it to them and uh, we went from one thing, you know, when the devil puts a plug in your dam and it's God, the flow doesn't stop. It just learns all the different ways it can go. And so it's fun to see God go in all these different ways. Here's Pam I was talking about from Nigeria. These are all just their emailed newsletters that I get pretty regularly. They just did it. This Nigeria, this is one of the tough places to be. I mean, Muslims kill Christians here. He just did a youth meeting for a thousand kids. Well, that's a pretty cool deal, huh? Vacation Bible school for 200 kids. Here's Ken Sandberg. He's been with us for, man, almost 30 years now. They showed the Jesus film in their carport and 55 people came to Jesus. This is in Davao, southern end of the Philippines. Just showing Jesus film on a Saturday night because the sun goes down at six o'clock on the equator and so you got plenty, plenty darkness there. And here they, uh, they kind of stepped in, they had a heart for an elderly home. And there aren't a lot of those in other parts of the world, assisted care or, or golden years living, uh, but there is one in Davao. And uh, they, were, they were thinking of taking it over and the Lord said, don't take it over, just step in and help them. So they just stepped in, they helped financially and their chaplains and here nine souls, nine lives that are coming to the very end of their season came to know Jesus, you know, just, just because of them being there each week to minister. This is, uh, and you can look at any of these if you want to. This is Amy. Amy is a single, I have a lot of these single women. Amy is a single Filipino lady who met us uh, at a little seminar we were doing, said, I've never met anybody like you guys because we talk about this whole spiritual apostolic family thing. And a lot of ministries don't run that way. A lot of ministries are not about reproducing and generational 
Uh, we're 200 missionaries, but more than 2,000 national ministers that work with us because we just bring them into the family. And so that really, it extends your budget because it costs them a lot less to do what they do than it costs me to do what I do if I'm living over there. And so she said, I've never met anybody like you. Can we be a part of you? And so she joined us, worked with us for Thailand in two, for two years. Now she's in India running Bible schools. A single lady in India running Bible schools. And, and here's CBS Udayapur. Uh, there's a new outreach. Binker's a new outreach. They're planting these little community centers for kids in homes and just filling them up, teaching them English and teaching them different things. And so that's what this is. It's called expansion and increase. They just can't keep up in these places. Here, two more. Here's a fun one. This is from Cora. We call Cora the $5 missionary because we asked her to come and help us teach. She's out of one of our Bible schools in the Philippines. We asked her to come and help us teach in uh, Vietnam underground and so she came she got her ticket she got her passport she came with five dollars in her pocket you still got to eat and sleep for a week while you're there but she came with five dollars we called her the five dollar missionary because she got her money for a ticket she got her passport her visa but she didn't have any money to go with her today she runs a team in Cambodia she planted a church she's got a disciple right now she raises up these young uh, women that could have been trafficked but now she's discipling them and she raised up this gal who's now over in Thailand training as a missionary and so this is called before meek Luert in her deathbed so she's got a member from her church that's dying. The monks are there doing their thing. The Buddhist monks are there doing their thing uh, because she's dying. And she said, uh, can we pray? And so the monks went out and let Cora and her team pray. And a week later, the lady was in church, not dying, and her whole family got saved. And so there's the guys from Ukraine. The side there is probably... 50 people, just this couple, young couple, two little girls, both their babies while they've been missionaries with us. And so here, here's this young couple that's got a whole base, minister 200,000. They're men and women that are discipling. They're doing something every day. This is Paul in India. This is my last one. He says, dear uh, Jim, who runs Bible schools for me out of the Philippines, and Reverend Craig, we just want you to know we just started 37th. 37th Bible school. We just started, not all at once, but they have now run in the last 20 years, 37 Bible schools in uh, Amor town. He says, this is really wonderful because we've got pastors, pastors, wives, government employees who have a great hunger. And in fact, um, we're located in a very strategic area. Here's how Paul always sees. From this location, we can reach 200 more villages. Again, villages of 18,000 people. We can reach to, he never sees, an apostle never wants to be where he is. He always wants to be where he's not. So he establishes where he is so that he can get to where he's not. So that's Paul. So here's, here's Paul's report for the, for the first quarter of this year, and then we're done. Number of villages reached with the gospel, 310. Remember, those are Seymours. Number of Seymours we reached with the gospel, 310 of those. Number of people reached with the gospel, 67,000. That's pretty good for three months, 20,000 people a month. Number of churches planted, 
34 then, they're up to 78 now. So that is what my investment, your investment, that is what us being senders means in the nations when we raise them up, father them, mother them, and continue to be a community. So stand on your, stand on your feet this morning. Let me just bless you.